0: You're listening to The Peak Podcast with me, Christina Roman. We're having real, intimate conversations about the interconnectedness of life. Join us as we discuss big topics like intuition, personal mastery, and emotional wellness and why they matter for you. Rebecca Johnson, welcome to The Peak Podcast. I'm so excited to have you today.
1: Thank you so much, Christina. It is a pleasure to be here.
0: We have a really interesting story of how we actually got connected. And I spontaneously asked you to join me as a guest on the podcast because we had such an amazing first conversation. And so I'm going to give a tiny bit of background, and then I am so excited to hear more from you on one of the big projects that you've been working on. So we got connected through good old Instagram. My old business partner received one of your products posted about it. And then I saw that somehow ended up following you. And then I actually reached out to you about this product. And then we ended up hopping on the phone and having an awesome conversation that went in so many different directions. I think that's exactly what's going to happen today. So the product is, as you very well know, the value Deck. I would love to have you talk just a little bit about what that is and what it means to you.
1: Sure. Thank you. Um, And it's so fun. I have to tell you, it's so fun to hear stories about where this tool has landed and the conversations it has started, including this conversation. That is part of why I made it is to start conversations. So the very fact that we're doing a great job, (laughs) the very fact that we're on this podcast is, you know, an outcome. But the values deck is a set of 72 cards, just the size of playing cards. So imagine, you know, a typical deck of cards, except it has 72. And each one has a value on the front and a short description. So a value might be kindness and then a little description. And then on the back, it has a question that prompts thought or conversation, or even some people who are writers or journaling people can use that to to write about. and. Uh, So that's just a description of what it is. It can be used in a lot of different ways. And I I created it because I used a similar tool and loved it. It was introduced to me by a, a friend who had brought a group of people together, and each person had their own deck of cards. So I immediately went out to buy it, and I thought, this is a great tool. I want to use this in other ways. I could not find that particular deck of cards. Any longer, and at the same time, I was remembering conversations from that group in which people had said, "You know, I wish there was a card for this. I wish there was a card for that." So the the deck that I had originally used had about forty five cards in it, which is a lot, and I masterfully edited that up to a number of seventy two. <laughs> <I, laughs> the multiplication works for me, so um, so that's kind of how it came into being.
0: I love the process. I always love hearing about creative processes, but it's so neat to watch somebody go out into the world, have these interactions, and have that spark a really cool idea that they end up taking back into their business. Um, So that's always really fun for me to watch. You and I talked about this a little bit, but you've seen these cards now, the the values deck used in a lot of different ways. Can you give some examples of how people actually use this deck in their lives?
1: Yeah. So um, some use it exactly the way I first encountered that original deck of cards, which is in a group. And in that group, every person has their own deck of cards. And there's a sorting exercise. Um, In fact, I have on my website, a free download that can guide that exercise. Um, But basically, you kind of go through several minutes of consideration and sort the cards into yes and no. Um, right now, yes, these values are really important to me. No, these values are not. And it doesn't mean you don't value those things that you put in your no pile, but it means right now they're not as important to you. And you keep doing that until you whittle down this deck of 72 to about four to six key values that really matter in your life right now. So that sorting exercise, of course, it can stir up a lot of thought or group conversation, And it's very interesting to go around the circle in a group after completing the exercise and talk about which values you chose and why. It's a great way to get to know people. One of the things I loved about that group and every group I've used the cards with since then is that you go from sort of water cooler casual conversation to really significant life conversation in the space of about 30 minutes. I mean, it just it's we building deep community and relationships, there's something about the tool that gives people permission to open up and to be very genuine. So I love that. Mm-hmm. So another way uh, that the cards are used um, is just in dinner conversation. I've had occasions, and I know friends have told me who've used it, they just have the deck of cards handy and everybody around the dinner table picks one card to talk about. And so it just kind of sparks an interesting conversation. I actually have a friend as well who she has um, date nights with her husband from time to time. And I don't know if you're an Enneagram person, if you know what the Enneagram <laughs> is, this will mean yes. something to you. She's she, How does she say it? It warms his Enneagram five heart <laughs> to have the deck <laughs> of cards. Um, and I don't, you know, for those who are listening who don't know, an Enneagram five can be a more reserved person. And, you know, very thoughtful, very introspective sometimes. So the cards kind of draw out what a person is thinking. So another way that the cards can be helpful, if you are a reader of Brene Brown's books, Dare to Lead is one that I've been reading recently. And she specifically has a whole section of the book about living into our values. So you can do that Without the deck of cards, and frankly, um, you can do a lot of this work without the deck of cards, but I have found that the cards just really, they're interactive and they're fun and they open up the conversation in fresh ways. So mm-hmm. it's been fun to see how people use it.
0: It's interesting. I know you mentioned Dare to Lead on one of our last conversations, but I have not read that one. I've read all other Brene Brown books um, and I just love I'll have to put that on my my Trello board that I was just telling you about, my reading list Trello board. But I am really curious. I would love to get your perspective on this. Is it's interesting to me that there are many people out there who already buy into this idea that looking at your values and assessing your values is awesome. It leads to amazing conversations. You get to know the people around you and yourself more. But why else is it so valuable to look at your values?
1: For me, I would say, and I would agree that many others have echoed this back to me, it becomes a filter for decision-making. Yes. And it becomes a filter, as Brene Brown would say, for those moments when you don't want to push through, she would use the word rumble, you know, to have those hard conversations. But when you have committed to your values, so for me, two of my core values are integrity and growth integrity, meaning that integration that I align what I believe, what I think, what I do, I want an integrated life. That gives me courage in those moments when I'm like, "Ah, oh, I, I don't want to say this, or I need to figure out how to say this. But if this is really what I value, then it, it gives me that accountability even mm. to yes. move forward. And You know, a lot of uh, conversations I've read about articles where when people get to the end of life, one of the things they talk about is what they regret and they have regrets in relationships. And so I think the values are the front side of regret.
0: Mm.
1: They are those things that allow us to say, you know, do I want to push through this hard thing? Because if I don't, the other side of that is that I will probably have a regret.
0: Mm. I'm telling you right now, I'm pulling that out as a quotable. That's good. I've never thought about that. There's a front side of regret. That's such an interesting perspective. Um, I wanna, I wanna insert one interesting thing that I realized from my conversations with my inner voice, I did a podcast mm-hmm. episode about values. And one of the questions, I don't remember the exact question that I asked, but one of the things that I heard was values are just an opportunity to prove it. And i mm. it made me laugh because I was like, it's so true. As soon as you state something as a value, I feel like the universe or God or whatever humanity shows mm-hmm. up and is like, oh, really? That's your value? Prove it to me. And so to your point, that leads to those hard conversations that in the past you might have resisted or ducked away from.
1: And I want to say values don't always lead to hard conversations. That can sort of be a downer, (laughs) like, ooh. Yeah, true, true, true. Maybe I'd rather not know my values. (laughs) Values can also be joyful. They Mm. can help you. uh, When you have a decision in front of you, Sometimes your values make it a no-brainer and it releases stress because you're not wrestling with that decision. It's, it's much, a much shorter path toward a clear decision and a confidence that comes with that decision of, no, I know this is right for me because it's aligned with my values. And in fact, sometimes the choices we have, it's, it's harder to choose between things that seem equal than it is Mm. to choose between something that is clearly awful and clearly good, right? Mm -hmm. So when you have several equal things, it helps to have that filter and it gives you confidence and reduces that fear of missing out. It's like, why would Mm. I worry about missing out on that? It's not even something I value.
0: Oh, that's so good. I want to ask you this. In your life, what is some decision that became easier for you to make because you had taken the time to understand your values?
1: That's a great question. I would say one of those decisions was starting my own business. Mm. Um, You know, being an entrepreneur in any measure, whether it's a side hustle or a main gig, it takes some courage and some boldness, um, sometimes some risk. Other times people just go headlong, but I'm a little more reserved person, a little bit more calculating. And so for me, it was the push I needed to say, no, if I'm going to live an integrated life, if I'm going to help people realize the fullness of their stories, and I work with nonprofit organizations and leaders as well, so very purpose-driven people and organizations, um, then I'm going to be purpose-driven as well. And I can do that from the place of stewarding my career now in my own business. Mm-hmm. And that was part of integrity for me and growth.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that integrity is a fascinating value, and that's actually come up a lot for me as well when I look at my values. And so um, I had a really – I had an interesting journaling experience when I was looking at the word integrity, and I had forgotten or maybe even hadn't known that integral, if you look at the dictionary definition, is two things. It's being honest, which is what I always thought of when I thought of integrity, Mm -hmm. but also the angle that you've mentioned is that showing up whole and being mm-hmm. whole integral. And that's something I've absolutely been implementing in my own life. So I'm really curious what, looking back, what were experiences that you had or behaviors that you were doing that were not in integrity?
1: Hmm. So I'm going to go back to the Enneagram here mm-hmm. um, because I think that, Um, Those who have, you know, and I'll try to explain as I go in case people are listening and unfamiliar, but in the Enneagram wisdom, I fit the nine. So I'm a, what's called a peacemaker or a mediator. Mm -hmm. And that number nine also is associated with self-forgetting, meaning I put myself last. um, I take care of others. I listen to others. I show empathy for others. And that's a great skill when it comes to mediating and bringing a group together and having people feel heard. The problem is, when I gather people at the table, I don't really make a full seat for myself.
0: Mm.
1: And that is where integrity for me fell short because I wasn't showing up to the same degree that I was inviting others to show up. Mm. Um, And in some cases, you know, nines are known for being so empathetic with other viewpoints that we have a hard time forming our own viewpoint or opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't like, generally speaking, nines are averse to conflict. So we tend to say or do the thing that, you know, helps everyone else feel comfortable when in fact, underneath that, we may have a viewpoint that we want to share and it may make some people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but will defer. And so integrity for me became a value because I realized that I wanted to be more intentional to show up as who I am with my opinions, with my talents, um, claim my seat at the table, if you will. Yeah. And be okay that others may be more or less comfortable with that. But I found joy in that. And there's nothing, you know, that's important to know when you live and in, in your integrity, you experience greater fulfillment and joy. And it's not selfish to claim that, although I think I'd heard limiting beliefs that said somehow that's selfish for me to claim my space at the table. Mm-hmm. So that would be kind of the big arc life story of why integrity mattered for me.
0: Thank you so much for diving into that. And I think that you make a really interesting point about the Enneagram or Maybe you didn't make this point directly, but indirectly, I think you acknowledge that a test like the Enneagram, which has been mentioned on the podcast about five times, I'm going to put a link in the show notes. If you have not taken your Enneagram test, I'll put a link there. But I think what I see is a lot of people using personality tests to box themselves in. But I think you've done a beautiful job of allowing it to guide your self-development and to see well what is in- grained in me maybe in my from birth or maybe through my development over the years but what am i going to do about it
1: mhm and taking ownership of your life basically yeah and for again for nines that's very hard to do we're just we're not oriented or groomed that and i want to say groomed that way i don't mean it like an, in a bad way but when you show up a certain way in the world and people become accustomed to that, Mm -hmm. they learn to expect that of you. And they actually, so it becomes a self-reinforcing pattern, right? And so you may have started out that way, but now it's also what people expect of you. So it takes courage to open up that awareness and begin to change it.
0: I absolutely love that point because you just hit on one of the I always say everything's a leading principle of coaching, but I mean that is coaching in a nutshell, right, is that mm-hmm. you are creating your own reality. And I love that idea that a lot of this might be in you, like in your soul essence, and then you self-perpetuate it and you help others self-perpetuate it as well. Um. Mm-hmm. So yeah, fascinating perspective on the kind of nature versus nurture there. So... I know that another assessment that you work with, you were telling me about, is motivational core. And I would love to know a little bit more about that. I actually have no familiarity with it. So can you start from zero here?
1: Sure. Um, Motivational core is, and if you love personality assessments, this will fit right in, (laughs) the Enneagram. So I would say the Enneagram is, uh, you know, if you've read about it at all or if you check the link in the show notes... It is a wisdom tradition and very insightful about human nature, and it does get into motivations or why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. Motivational core is more of an evidence-based or science-based tool that deeps, that dives deep into why we do what we do. And so it would take the view that our motivations are very deeply embedded, and then you surround that with personality and with strengths and with your values and your skills but the difference would be that i, I believe this and there are many you know smarter people than me who have <laughs> researched it and would put forward the view as well that your motivations and your personality and to a degree your strengths are things you didn't necessarily choose there is something about the way each of us is uniquely um Showing up in the world. And so, but then with skills and values, you have more agency. You can choose them, you can develop them, you can learn them. So, there's sort of these two parts of who you are the part you were given and the part you develop. And of course, you can develop what you're given. Motivational core peels back some of those layers and says, why? What makes you tick? Why do you get out of bed in the morning and you're excited to do that thing, but not the other? Mm-hmm. And so, it and what I love about it is it begins story based. So I'm very story driven person. Um, my business is called Story Solutions for a reason. Right. <laughs> um, I love storytelling and interviews and those kind of ways of exploring human experience. Motivational core begins with achievement stories, in which you would provide three examples from any time in your life, any range of experience, of something you did well that you enjoyed doing, and that you found deeply satisfying. And then based on those stories, you would answer a series of assessment questions reflecting on your own story. And on the other side of that, you would receive a profile report that identifies the top three motivations that came through in your life experience out of a possible 27. So again, there's the science part in the background there. And I love the way this tool combines story and science. So when I work with people, I am then talking about these three core motivations that are the drive for what for virtually everything. I mean, in my own life, I can say this is true at home, at work, at family, in friendships. They just—they're sort of enduring, irresistible characteristics of who I am and how I show up in the world.
0: What are they? And, you're telling me.
1: <laughs> what? Wow, yeah, the suspense. <laughs> so the language is very particular. So mine uh, would be improve. Okay. Wherever I go, I am—I notice ways to make things better. Um, achieve potential, which is where you can imagine where the coaching comes in. I look at something and want it to have its fullest expression. And then what's called experience the ideal, which is about taking a concept or a value and making, giving it concrete expression. Like it, it's not good enough to just be theoretical. I want it to be experienced. And so for me, you know, those things show up everywhere in everything I do. It's why I made the values deck. I saw that deck of cards and I said, oh, I I listened to people and said, here's how they want it to be better. So I made a better one. And I didn't even, you know, it was second nature to Uh me. Um, So the other thing I would say about motivational core and motivations is they're not inherently good or bad. Much like the Enneagram, everything has a shadow side and everything has a strength to it. And so knowing your motivations can help you recognize. So as someone who improves for me, I can help me recognize, oh, I'm fixing something that somebody doesn't want to be fixed, (laughs) or I need to turn off my editing lens and quit. Like I notice typos and things just, I can't help it. So I need to turn that off right now. I'm just being present in this friendship, (laughs) you know, so that awareness, uh, it's a great skill or motivation to have, but it's also an awareness of ah, it's getting the better of me right now. And I I want to, you know, keep it in in its lane in the in a good way.
0: <laughs> no, this is so fascinating. My mind is going crazy. It's it's interesting you say that thing about fixing. I actually am running a group coaching program and one of my principles, one of my guidelines is you We'll be tempted. I'm like As you're watching other people get coached, you are going to be so tempted to send them a message immediately and tell them the solution to their problem. It's going to happen. And so I say, mm-hmm. I want the guideline here is always ask if the person wants your recommendations. And remember that we're coaching them on their mind. We're not coaching them on the actions that they're taking because the actions will fall into place mm-hmm. once the thought falls into place. So I just think that's super interesting Mm -hmm. is as a society, and I think some people are more susceptible than others. Maybe it's those people like you um, or like me who want to be fixers, um, but always being aware that we're not necessarily supposed to be in the role of fixer at all times.
1: And I think that is so true, Christina, in human relationships in particular. Obviously, when you're on a task or a project, you often want a fixer on your team. Um, and then one of the other things I do is work with teams to understand their motivations and how they interrelate. Um, you know, so, but that, that's back to the biggest superpower of understanding yourself is self-awareness. It's so that you can use your natural strengths, motivations, and so on, but also not overuse them where they don't belong.
0: I'm so curious. I have no idea if you'll have an answer to this or not, but based on your understanding of the most motivational core and our brief interactions, do you have any hypotheses of what I might be <laughs> and then I'll do a test on it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say as a matter of principle, I have some ideas, but I, I am very careful not okay. to speak that. So that's one of those places where I feel like your discovery is the priority for you. And I would say that for every client. So yes, when I talk to people, I start to hear clues. Um, but I I always want to give the priority of discovery to the okay. person.
0: Okay. Fair enough. I'm going to have you just write them down, not tell me, and I'll check back in with you after I do it. And you can be like, yeah, I was so right. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> No, that's really interesting. I I also think about when I have friends do the Enneagram. I'm like, bet you I can bet what, guess what you are. I'm like, I got this. I got this on the lock. <laughs> yeah, that's the same.
1: I, I have the same thing. And I think a lot of people with the Enneagram, you know, you do start to, it's a similar feeling of noticing the characteristics of the person you're with. Um, it's like knowing if someone's an introvert or an extrovert. So I just want to be careful not to label people or predispose yes. their thinking because what I, so I'll give you an example. I was coaching someone last week and and actually I've had this multiple times where they get the motivational core profile back. It's called a motivational blueprint. And one of the first things we do is we talk about how did it strike you? Does it resonate with who you think you are? And I've had multiple people say, well, yes, but I'm not this. And I say, okay, let's, let's talk about that as we go through this review process and we dig into their stories and we, you know, kind of talk about and listen through the whole arc of explanation of how they got to where they are. And I will tell you, very often they come back to a limiting belief of, I couldn't have been that, but actually I am. And sometimes it's around a space of, you know, it's it doesn't fit my self-image or it doesn't fit who I thought I was supposed to be. Um but in fact i am and they might have viewed it negatively and so we kind of peel back the layers enough to say no that that can be a positive attribute it can be used negatively but it can be a positive attribute and you actually exhibit in your stories that very thing and and to own it and view it as part of your integrated self is a great aha
0: do you is anything specific coming to mind any specific examples you can provide
1: Sure. So one of the, um, it happened to be a woman that I was speaking to and coaching. She said, oh, I'm not assertive. And I thought, hmm, you know, I've heard, and I think maybe others would say they've heard too, it's hard to be a woman and be assertive, that sometimes that doesn't, it isn't received well. So we temper our assertiveness in order to find a way through and accomplish what we're trying to do, but we don't want to be called assertive, perhaps. And so for her, that was a label that she was uncomfortable with. But in fact, when we looked at her stories, it was very true. She was assertive. She had clear ideas. She knew they could work. She made the case. She delivered on them and got successful outcomes. And so she was assertive. Interesting. She had to reframe her understanding of that word. How
0: did that change the way that she showed up in the future by taking ownership of that?
1: So for her, I think it gave her confidence to say, "You know what? I am assertive, and that if I don't recognize my assertiveness, I actually devalue my ideas, and I devalue the worth of my work." And and so she um, began a different conversation about what kind of career. Path she wanted to be on, and she's still exploring that she it just it made her i think more confident in herself and in the unique abilities that she and not just abilities but motivations and i I conflate that a little bit because the motivation drives the mm-hmm. expression of
0: ability. you said this really beautifully, I actually want to quote. Something that you wrote, if that's okay. You said, Sure. A brand is a promise built by experiences, and experiences are informed by values brought to life by motivations and strengths embodied in leaders and teams. So Mm. well said. Anything to add to that?
1: Gosh, I don't know if I can add to that. I think what what I was trying to express when I wrote that is how, so I have a long career in nonprofit communications and brand expression, brand strategy, brand messaging. And I became a coach and became more interested in leadership development because the brand, I I was seeing this disconnect. So I was seeing a lack of integrity between the projection of the brand and the people who embody it. And my drive for integrity caused me to say, wait a minute, if a brand is that collection of experiences, then uh, we can do all the marketing agency stuff we do. But if the people don't have the skills and the self-awareness to, to live and lead, um, and you know, this is a workplace example, of course, but live and lead that cause of that organization they represent, then all of our All of our agency work isn't going Uh to have its effect. We're missing the equation.
0: I'm not sure if this segue will make much sense, but I was thinking of a conversation I had with someone recently, and she said that she felt like a fraud. And I've had that thought before. And what I was telling her is you feel like a fraud because there's a disconnect between what you're thinking and how you're showing up. And you're creating basically two different versions. And it's that. It's that conflict between the versions of yourself or your perceived versions of yourself that are actually leading you to believe that you're a fraud. This, in my mind, connects back to that idea of you could have an internal organization operating one way and then projecting a very different image and that that is, like you said, a lack of integrity. Does that make sense to you?
1: I've probably worked with more than 70 different nonprofit organizations now. And so I've, and the truth is um, I will also claim what Brene Brown says, which that I believe that most people are doing the best they can. They're not trying to be, have that lack of integrity or that disconnect. You are all works in progress and we're also trying to lead organizations and invest in our families and our communities and do all these things while we are a work in progress. So integrity misalignments happen all the time because that's just the, the reality of being a work in progress. But I, do, I have seen many organizations where what they say on paper, this is our culture document, for example, this is who we are as a team, as an employee group, as an organization. And then you know, separate from that, they're not living up to the standard. So it's a constant struggle. It for sure is.
0: Yeah, I think that my my call to action for listeners would be if you feel a mismatch or you feel a conflict or disconnect, look at why that is and understand that when you acknowledge a lack of integrity, the acknowledgement of the lack of integrity can Bring you into integrity.
1: And I would also add, do so with curiosity and compassion. Back to that idea that we're all doing the best we can and we're all works in progress. Um, and actually, I love, there's a, another book list, reference, podcast, whatever. Father Richard Rohr has said, and I, I wish I could tell you where he said this. I just sponged it up. But he said, you know, we are all in the process of becoming more mature, right? More, more fully ourselves. Therefore, we will always have moments of immaturity. And that's back to being a work in progress. So be compassionate with yourself and be curious Without judging yourself, why is that? Just ask the question, "Why," and mm-hmm. start to peel back the layers.
0: I think that's a really good segue from that piece about maturity into this other piece of our conversation that I really want to have because I think you have a very valuable perspective. So, when we first connected, we—I don't even know how we segued into this, but we somehow segued into the book, "The Second Mountain," which is by David Brooks, and it's this idea of the second journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, you introduced me to the term, the second journey, and then you presented a really beautiful quote that perfectly encapsulates the idea of a second journey. Are you, are you okay if I read that one out loud? Absolutely. So I think keeping in mind that there's flexibility with the age bracket here, <laughs> yes. uh, it says, many people between the ages of 30 and 60 whatever their stature in the community and whatever their personal achievements, undergo what can be truly called a second journey. The second journey begins when we know we cannot live the afternoon of life according to the morning program. And that's by Brennan Manning. I love that visual of the morning program and the afternoon of life. So what is your interest in the second journey and and how did you end up there?
1: well i've I would say I read that quote several years ago, and it stuck with me this and it struck me kind of similarly to how it struck you and it probably resonated because I realized that I was in that second journey or about to begin it, or that i was there was this morning program that i recognized had come to an end and David Brooks in the second mountain and which I haven't read it's on my list I know it just came out this Mm -hmm. year but he would describe it as you have checked a lot of the boxes that you were led to expect were important to a full life you know it might be career it might be family it might be education it might be certain experiences and you you check those boxes and you realize wow I've got a lot of life left Mm -hmm. what now Mm -hmm. And maybe you also feel a level of, I wouldn't say crisis, maybe for some people, there is a crisis moment. Um, But I think for other people, there's just this feeling of dissatisfaction of like, I don't, I don't know what to look forward to now. Or those things maybe weren't as life giving as I thought they would be on the you know, when I started, I checked it off and i okay, I have it now, but what? And so it becomes, it's actually a spiritual place for many people to say, what is the real meaning of my life now from this point forward? And so I was in a place of recognizing that I had a lot of wonderful experiences. Um, my husband was in the middle of a job transition. I anticipated that I would be in a job transition along with that because it might've involved a relocation. And so those are events that stir up questions. Okay, well, what do I wanna do for the next frame of five to 10 to 20 years or however many that Mm -hmm. may be? Um, So that was part of my interest.
0: You really hit on one of the big concepts from the book, Second Mountain, which is the quest for a moral life. So that's actually the subtitle is the quest for a moral life. And so it's a lot about, Relationships, faith, community, and vocation, and I am a very visual person. And so, the if you guys end up picking up the second mountain, it's a really beautiful cover of a mountain. Shockingly, and uh, and I just love that idea that there's these two peaks in your life. Right, you go to the top of a peak. I also am partial to the word peak because that's my coaching business name. Um, And so you kind of look around and you're like, yeah, you know, like you said, this material success maybe has been great. It's been nice. But there's more out there for me. And so I think that visual of coming down the first mountain and like you said, that can often be crisis or it can just be kind of that malaise and slight dissatisfaction. And then you head up the second mountain. And so I find this super interesting because I work with a lot of people who are maybe at the bottom in between the mountains or they've started up the second mountain. And so it's the type of person who has downloaded a meditation app or gone to a meditation group, maybe does yoga, um, picks up a Brene Brown book and listens to Sam Harris's podcast or um, Dan Harris's podcast about meditation as well. So there's, I say those as kind of stereotypical traits of somebody who is working their way up the second mountain. But I think that there's, there's that deeper exploration and that can come in that mind body spirit connection.
1: For sure. And I think that's also, so the values conversation we've been having is part of that too, because I think that what we value can shift with that second journey or second mountain, but I would also say that a lot of times it can be confusing because our personality, we're still who we are. Our motivations are still what they are. Um, our life experiences have begun to tell a certain story. And we, you know, back to that way that we behave in a way that re- has people reinforce expectations of us. And so this second mountain or second journey becomes uh this point where we're like, how do, we, how do we unpack all of that? How do we reconcile um, this new chapter of life with who we are also? And so the, um, I love the progression of thought in a series of phrases that moves from, I should, I can, I will, and I am. And so, you know, I think we start out in younger seasons of life as I should. I need to do this. I check this off. I should go to college. I should get a good job. I should, you know, and there's this requirement feeling, obligation to that. And then we move from I should to I can, which is the ability, like, no, I'm excited. I can do this. And then we also have those moments where I will. It's not just I can, but I I am determined. And for me, there's a lot of excitement of realizing more of the I am, which is now this is who mm-hmm. I am. And so that progression for me also somehow fits this second mountain awareness of the way that the from this point forward, what the journey might look like.
0: I love that progression that you mentioned and sticking specifically to that, I should. I have in my coaching program, a daily empowering question that's sent out by email. And one of those questions is, what are you holding on to? What are you doing or believing because you quote unquote should? And it's really about unearthing all of those shoulds that you're still holding on to in your life mm-hmm. and acknowledging which ones you're ready to let go of. So I uh, I would love to build your spectrum into to what I already have.
1: Yeah and it's it's powerful to replace the should you know when sometimes the progression is okay let's move from should to can because sometimes the things we think we should do we can't do they're really not feasible but we feel this pressure and stress of obligation so move one step to i can what what can you do and then move another step to will meaning what are i really determined and passionate about and then even the dial goes further of Know really, who am I? What are my values? What motivates me? What fuels me? What fills me up? And that's who I am.
0: I would love to know a little bit more about who you are and who, how you became that from the shoulds to, to the I am. And I know we've talked a little bit, obviously, mm-hmm. about the risk and courage of running a business. And we have touched a little bit on faith. But what else did you come face-to-face with that you were holding on to as things you should be or should do?
1: You know, since we've talked about faith, I will open that up a little bit Mm -hmm. to say that I grew up in a very should environment. And um, I was raised in a very conservative Christian faith. And I value much of that. But I also had to learn to parse the shoulds from the ams, if I can use that language. Um, You know, there, there are, you know, Christianity is a big, big tent with many different expressions and traditions in it. But some of the most conservative ones sort of live by do's and don'ts, which are shoulds and shouldn'ts. And I realized when I was a teenager, um, I started to realize, started to think more for myself as, you know, is the case with that stage of life for everyone. And I began to realize, wait a minute, there's some, this is, this story isn't all about shoulds and shouldn'ts. In fact, I think that's removing the joy that was built into who I am. And it doesn't mean go crazy on the shoulds and shouldn'ts. It just means that's not the driving purpose behind why you would practice Christian faith or call yourself a Christian. And I realize going back to Brene Brown's comment of people are doing the best they can, I think even in those communities that perpetuate more um, limiting beliefs, that people are still doing the best they can. They're doing what they think is right. And maybe one generation is passing on to the next what they've been taught without really getting curious about it. And so I began to be curious about it. I began to explore and learn for myself and come to a belief in Christ that is for myself um, rooted in much more of who I am and less about the shoulds and shouldn'ts.
0: Mm-hmm. I think there's there's just so much to unpack. I know that word is totally overused, but there's so much to unpack within that. Um, and... Uh-huh. I I had a pastor on the podcast in the past because, yeah, I don't even know where to go. I mean, religion is just such an interesting thing. And I think I always talk about religion in a city especially is such an interesting concept because there's so much backlash against it. And I've shared this story before, but I have a friend who's Christian, but she won't ever talk about it because she just gets such negative reactions from people. And so I just love that you're willing to come here and talk about that and talk about your evolving faith, because I know that that's not an easy topic to talk about, especially publicly. So thank you.
1: Well, you're welcome. And I I wouldn't say to encourage listeners... Um, to find safe places to talk about mm-hmm. that and you mentioned the words evolving faith i don't know if you know there's a whole group and a conference no. called evolving faith yes oh <laughs> and it is it is for many people who grew up in more conservative strains of christianity who are saying wait i don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater to use that expression uh, but but this expression you know i need to i need room to sort of un here we go unpack <laughs> deconstruct yeah. and 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 get curious about it um so and by the way i did hear that podcast episode with bill mm-hmm. the pastor you mentioned it's a great one to listen to i would encourage people to go back and listen to that um really well spoken great conversation between the two of you and um it was personally encouraging for me to hear that Good. and to hear his perspective
0: oh so I'm so glad to hear that. He was so open. I knew that he would be a really awesome person to bring on because he is a pastor and yet he's so open to hearing and I guess taking ownership of what the church has done to contribute to Mm -hmm. people's perspective of the church. So he doesn't ever say like, oh, people just shun us and we've never done anything to deserve it. He says, no, no, no. We've definitely done things to deserve some of the criticism, so let's have an honest conversation Mm -hmm. about it. So thank you. Thanks for listening.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he did say that. And I think also, um, if I would add, one of the things I liked about his comments and that are true in my experience and some of the places where I've had more open conversations is um, curiosity is a wonderful thing. For spiritual discovery, but it's—I believe—it's not celebrated enough in some of the pockets of Christianity that are afraid of curiosity or afraid of questions. Questions are your friend. Doubt is a friend of faith. When you think about the opportunity to ask questions of what you believe, and and that leads to um, great conversations. It leads to. I think sometimes the mystery of things we cannot explain, we don't have to explain everything. Mm-hmm. But there is a fear that wants to explain it and be certain and tie it up and put a bow on it. Yes. So. Yeah. I would just encourage people. One of the resources I love, by the way, if if I may mention, it is another podcast mm-hmm. It's called The Bible for Normal People, <laughs> and um, it's a really good podcast for asking questions and getting curious about, well, this is the way the narrative has often been presented, but let's, let's explore that narrative and maybe some other ones that are less talked about, but equally worthy of consideration.
0: Thank you so much for recommending that. I'm going to put that in the show notes, and you actually just sparked a thought in me, which is I have a friend who is dating – who's not religious, who's dating someone who's very religious. And I I pushed her, and I challenged her. I think I have some Enneagram 8, which is the challenger in me. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I was like, what if – what if you just read the Bible as a curious intellectual experience? I'm like, it is the number one book in the entire world, so, you know – Maybe there's something there. I'm like, maybe if you went into it with some open-mindedness, you could actually learn a lot and gain a lot of really interesting perspective. I don't think I quite convinced her. But if anyone else is listening and you are not religious, I do think – I'm like, there's parables in there and there's stories in there and there's history in there that anyone could benefit from.
1: And to piggyback on that, the um, the podcast, The Bible for Normal People, maybe you don't want to read, but you want to listen to an episode or two. Yeah. Um, but it happens to be hosted by uh, a very, um, well, a, a very, I, I want to say educated, but in a thoughtful way. Um, Dr. Pete Enns hosts that. He's also written a couple books on how to read the Bible. And sometimes I think people are like, what do I do with this? I mean, it's a quite a, Eclectic collection. That's an understatement (laughs) of stories and you know narratives. How do I read that? What What are you looking at when you read that? Um, So, if you do want to read, Pete Ends has some good books on that as well.
0: Thank you so much. I uh, I always ask the question of my podcast guests: What's a book that you recommend? I know I want to keep a somewhat constrained because I think that we could go on and on and on. I have um, (laughs) Dare to Lead. Second Mountain, the Bible. <laughs> um, is there a fourth book that you would add to that list of books that you would highly recommend?
1: So I would add one that we haven't even talked about, and that is called The Power of the Other mm-hmm. by Henry Cloud. If you are in listening to this podcast, there's you know some coaching-type interest in your life or self-development, curiosity. The Power of the Other was a really helpful book for me this year. And it has to do with the key relationships in your life and how they influence you and how you interact in them. So really good That ties
0: in super well with the theme of season two, which is about showing up for yourself so that you can show up for your community. And really that double pronged approach of not only being self-aware and self-reflective and taking care of yourself, but also then how do you turn that and show up better in your community? So I think that book is a perfect fit for season two. Thank you. You're welcome. As we get closer to the end of the episode, I want to ask one of the questions that I have been asking all of my podcast guests this season. It accidentally became my favorite question to ask, which is, what's a belief that you have that you love?
1: I'm going to pause and think about that for a second. I'm going to say that one of the beliefs that I have that I love is what I would call original goodness or original blessing. And I'm going to say this in a contrast to the faith conversation we had a moment ago. There's a theological term called original sin that gets talked about in Christian circles. And I think it has sometimes been misunderstood and that it causes people to forget what I would call their original goodness. So if you go back and if you want to read those stories and go back to the idea of the creation and the Garden of Eden, and if you read that narrative, it there's these days of creation going by, and each one God says it was good, it was good, it was good, and Adam and Eve were made, and it was very good and so there's this idea of blessing and goodness in our creation in our origin, and however you want to interpret all of that in the science and the story i'm not I'm not going there with this, I'm going to the idea that there is goodness, and that we forget that sometimes. We become hard on ourselves or we carry, if we've grown up in a tradition that talks about sin, um, that's not to say that we are flawless. I'm not saying that. But I think um, there's an author named Danielle Schroyer who says, in the garden, we didn't lose our goodness. We lost our innocence. And that's the story. And so I want to affirm the goodness of how each person is uniquely showing up in the world.
0: Thank you so much for that. I think that that pairs so well with the Quaker belief that there's a light in everybody. And that belief has been so helpful for me as I go out into the world and have all kinds of interactions with people. And in those moments when I have a quote unquote negative interaction and question somebody I try to take a second and just think there's a light in them and I extend that to Donald Trump (laughs) and I extend that to anyone else that you have that you think is categorically – sorry, I know this is very political – but just anyone that you think is categorically a bad person, I would just argue they have a light within them. That light might be muted, (laughs) but it's there. And I think that just believing that has served me a lot in my own life. So I'll pass that one on. And I think that pairs really well with your idea of original goodness. So thank you for sharing that. In our last few minutes, I asked you if you would be up for doing Rapid Fire Values Deck. And I am so excited Mm -hmm. for this. So I'm going to let you lead this one.
1: (laughs) Ah, okay. So... What does that, what does rapid fire values deck? Let's define that so we <laughs> okay, know perfect. what we're going to do. Here. Um,
0: what about if we pull a card at random and we just talk about it? We both give like two to three sentences about it and then do another one for about five minutes.
1: Okay. So I will, I'm truly going to be random. Okay. So just so you know, you can't see this, but I'm just going to flip through the deck and pick up a card. And the first card I picked up is health. And health on this is described as being well in <gasps> body, mind, and spirit so that you can enjoy I am. life.
0: I love it so much because as soon as you said health, I said mind, body, spirit in my mind. Yep. Oh, okay. We're on yep. the same page.
1: <laughs> the whole person. We are on the same page. And I think we could, we could do mind, body, connection conversations here, which mm-hmm. we don't even have time for, but... I think it's all there in health.
0: So here's my question for you. This is I'm getting slightly away from rapid fire, but mind, body, spirit. I love that you're already thinking through that lens. So my question for you is, how do you practice mind? What's one way you practice mind? What's one way you practice body? And one, what's one way you practice spirit?
1: So for mind, I think um, reading, imagination, also meditation, quieting the mind or activating the mind, either one can be part of its health. I think for body I would say the same quieting or resting the body but also being active which could mean taking a walk or doing a weight workout or doing yoga which also blends in the mind there and spirit um spirit can be um for me I would say that tends to tip toward what I'm reading or having conversations with people that go to those depths of who I really am that touch my soul
0: I'll add in reading as well, um, just always having something that I can absorb from someone else's perspective. Body for me, I've lifting weights has been my way of really honoring my body for years, but most recently I would say it's free dance and super uncomfortable for me. It makes me super mm-hmm. self-conscious <laughs> and yet It feels very important. And spirit. I think that the way I most practice spirit is through my intuitive work. So just dialoguing with my inner voice. But I think also I'll connect it back to that idea that there's a light in everybody. And I think that that – I see that as the light is originating from a spirit world. (laughs) I don't really know what that means. I haven't Mm -hmm. defined that. But that we are – physical manifestations of that spirit. And that's why we have a light in us. Whew.
1: <laughs> Whew, I know. It's like, take a break. <laughs> so deep. <laughs> okay. Ooh, that... I know. Well, let's see. Oh. Values tend to be deep though. So, but I just picked another random one. Is that Please, okay?
0: Yes. <laughs> Hit me.
1: This value is challenge. So engaging in a task or situation that tests the capacity of your skill or willpower. Oh
0: gosh. What does that mean to you?
1: Uh, I would say this is a this is a difficult value for me. I am not always good at challenge. I so back to my Enneagram 9 self, I would I tend to back away from challenge or really evaluate if it's worth the fight. Okay. Um so I have, I I do, I will say though, I am open to challenges that involve skill that I care about. So, you know, we all filter subjectively. So if I know that getting better at this will help me achieve greater potential in my business, I'm a little more willing to accept the challenge.
0: Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting the way that I, that I first heard challenge was in that way of challenging, challenging perceptions, challenging people. Uh, challenging the status quo, and I—I mm-hmm. I joked that I feel like I'm a part eight in the Challenger Enneagram. So that's what I see as challenge. But I also think that I think what I think this is interesting. I am very aware of the confirmation bias that I have, especially mm-hmm. when I read things. And this has been very clear to me in my book club that every book I read, I have a very very similar perspective hmm. that I confirm. And so I always see it through the same lens. And so I guess I would I would challenge myself to challenge the way that I'm interpreting books.
1: Mm. That's a really interesting one, that to set your biases aside consciously and try not to have them be the same filter that you apply again and again and again.
0: Right. Because I think that what I do, which I think is pretty normal, but I take every single piece of information and I'm like, oh, yeah, they're all saying the same. Like all these, all these leaders that I'm reading, they're all saying the same thing confirmed. And anything that doesn't fit that narrative, I'm more likely to throw out, which I think is a very human reaction. But I would love to be more aware of that in my life.
1: All right. Next value. This is an interesting one. <laughs> Authority. Ooh authority. Um, And here's the description, because this word is complicated and brings up all kinds of impressions, but having worthy command of a team, organization, project, or subject matter.
0: Oh, I can go. Do you mind if I go first? Go for it. I am leading this group coaching program, like I mentioned. And as of the time of this recording, it's my first one. I asked the other part, the participants in the program, what their expectations of me were. And one person said the word steadfast and that that was her expectation is that I would show up as being steadfast. And I love that. I've been thinking about that a lot. And so I think for me, I think about authority through this lens of my group coaching program is how do I both show up as an authority subject matter expert, at the same time that I acknowledge that in many ways I'm going through the exact same process as, my, as the participants.
1: Mm. That's really good. And I think um, I love the way you used that uh, around the area of subject matter. When I chose this value for the values deck, it, I knew it was complicated because I think we all have these negative impressions of authority that is misused. Mm-hmm. Authority, you know, authoritarian is what we often think of. And that's why, for me, it was having worthy command of this subject matter or team or organization. Um, Because, and that for me, if I want to be an authority, or if you want to be an authority and recognized as such, that worthy command of that thing means I have done the work. Yes. And you with your coaching are doing the work. You're not just, it's not just an opinion or a positional sort of staking the territory based on a positional claim. You've done the work. And that's a high value for me to do the work.
0: I love that perspective. And I'll add in that when I first published my episode on connecting to your inner voice, my mom actually responded back to the emails, the first podcast she'd responded to. And she said, I am so Pleased and I guess impressed by the way that you've really taken ownership of your teaching on this concept because before I would present it so sheepishly. And I'd be like, ah, I'm doing this weird thing. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's awkward and uncomfortable. <laughs> and I just finally came into my own and took authority over it. And so mm. that was so, that was such a transformative experience to be able to own it. And I have never used the word authority in relation to that, but I will now. <laughs>
1: Mm. Yeah. It's a more, again, it's, it can be a positive word. Um, but I think it is one that has particular baggage around it sometimes. So, all right. Do we have time for one more?
0: Please. Oh my gosh. I could do this all day. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, no, no, I need more, I need more.
1: (laughs) So, um, this I flipped and it, this is one of my favorite values also. I mean, I like all these, they're (laughs) like my children sort of, (laughs) but gratitude, Mm. gratitude, Choosing to notice and appreciate the good things you experience and receive.
0: What are your thoughts?
1: And I am ready to go first. I actually, this year for the first time in January, took a little blank journal and I set it on my um, kitchen table and I, my husband and I use it as a gratitude journal. I just decided that um, I wanted to be more intentional about Every few days, writing down a few lines or little bullet points of things that I'm grateful for. Uh, I was in a particularly tough season making some decisions about my business and career. And so I wanted to be intentional to notice the good things. Mm -hmm. So I also, this is a funny little aside, I've always been sort of underwhelmed by New Year's Eve. (laughs) I don't know why. I just like really, I mean, it's a calendar date, right? But as i've written in this journal all year long i'm looking forward now to new year's eve to having this opportunity or new year's day maybe to flipping through and looking back at the last year and all the gratitude notes so that's it's so been cool. a great practice for me this year
0: that's so cool i love that so much i really love the quote what what you appreciate appreciates <laughs> Mm. And I really, I love investments and I love the concept of compound interest from a financial perspective, but also just from a life perspective. And And I talk a lot about compound effects. So I love that idea that when you take time to focus on what you appreciate, it grows. And yeah. I have this contrarian perspective on gratitude as well, which is, I don't think it actually contradicts what you said, but it's an interesting thing that I've noticed in my life, which is I have had periods in my past that I wasn't happy and I tried to force myself into happiness by writing gratitude journals. And what I realized is if you're super, well, I'll I'll speak for myself. What I realized is when I am fundamentally unhappy Writing a gratitude journal every day is not going to change that. But when I'm in a good place and I do a gratitude journal, it amplifies. So for me, a gratitude journal doesn't cure all, but it can be amazing icing on the cake.
1: I would agree with that. And I think for me, this particular year, I wasn't there wasn't like I have to find something to be grateful for every day. It wasn't a rule. It was more like it's sitting on the kitchen table as this visible reminder. And the truth is, that's one of the reasons why I love the description, choosing to notice and appreciate. Like sometimes I think we just turn our chooser off. Yes. <laughs>
0: We're like, I don't want
1: to notice. I'm I'm grumpy. I don't like it. I'm out of sorts. Yes. Um, but we always have that choice to say, now I'm going to be more open. Doesn't mean I have to be effusive and super happy but I'm going to be at least open.
0: Mm -hmm. I always call that just finding the wiggle room. I'm like, you just need an inch. You need an inch in the way you're thinking about it in order to see a change in your life.
1: Yes. One little inch at a time.
0: Yes. I feel like that's a perfect closing note. Um, One little inch at a time, everyone. But thank you so much, Rebecca. This has been such an amazing conversation. And I'm, I'm so glad we connected through the values deck. I'm glad that you created it and that you put it out in the world. So your courage in doing that is, is why we're here. Thank you. Thank
1: you. Thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for joining. Where is the best place for people to find you and to find the values deck, Rebecca?
1: So they can find me on Instagram and on my website. Both are exactly the same handle, story. Solutions. So on the web, there's no .com or .org, it's story.solutions. And you can find the values deck, you can find me, I would love to connect and love to, you know, have you add your voice to the community, especially on Instagram, and love to know what your values are as you explore those.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. And please feel free to reach out to Rebecca and chat more about values. Thank you, everyone, for listening.
1: Thank you, Christina. It's been fun to talk with you today.
0: Yeah, it's been awesome. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Peak Podcast. Your support helps this podcast grow. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and then head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It is so much appreciated, and I will see you on the next episode.